Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on News Radio 1120 KMOX. Well, on this holiday weekend, are you thinking about taking an Uber? We are going to talk about a story that you probably want to know about before you open the app. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's an important question to ask. How should I get from point A to point B? We don't want you drinking and driving, but is Uber the choice you should be making? And we're also going to talk about some of the great things that are going on in St. Louis as it relates to bioscience uh, and some of the recognition that's been bestowed upon our region. Yeah, a lot of global, uh, from Ireland and Israel, global health uh, science and technology companies coming to St. Louis for good reason, and many of them might not leave. We'll talk about that coming up. And we will uh, spend the day on this uh, nice Sunday of the holiday weekend uh, thinking about what we should be doing next in St. Louis because this show is always about what's next. And what's next for you? Maybe a new career. We'll talk about the need for IT professionals and uh, how do you get into that field, especially if you don't know anything about it? There's a training uh, course that's coming up uh, by a company that's just entered the St. Louis market. And we'll get to the details on that. It's all coming up on Nothing Impossible. We'll be right back. And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. All right, welcome back into our innovation show here on The Voice of St. Louis. Michael and Travis with you. And we're, uh, you know, we talk about Uber a lot on this show. Uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. This time, we're going with the bad yet again. Yeah, the, well, you There's know. a lot of bad recently for that company. <laughs> over, from a national perspective, absolutely. And in St. Louis, you know, we extensively talked about the years-long, more than a year at least, debate between Uber and the Metropolitan Taxi Commission, and then the state legislature got involved, uh, involving background checks. And should drivers have these fingerprint background checks? What's sufficient? Uh, what's too much or what's too little? And there's a story out in The Verge by Andrew Hawkins uh, about an Uber driver and it involves St. Louis. St. Louis shows up in this story. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, so uh, tell us a little bit about the story and uh, what you what we were, you were writing about. Sure thing. Well, uh, yesterday uh, there was a lawsuit filed against Uber uh, alleging that one of its drivers um, in the, uh, in the St. who lived in the St. Louis area uh, had, uh, had raped a passenger, and the passenger was suing Uber and the driver uh, alleging that she was uh, sexually assaulted by this driver, but uh, but more importantly, uh, the allegations touch on uh, some of these issues surrounding Uber and the way that it uh, runs criminal background checks on its drivers. She claims that the driver in question, uh, that there was already a complaint filed against this driver alleging domestic violence, uh, that Uber was aware of these issues, aware of this driver's violent history and violent past, and uh, that they ignored it. And she was... Uh, uh, obviously suffered from that. So she's suing the company. She's suing the driver. Uh, as far as I know, there, there's a criminal investigation going on into uh, uh, her allegations and and uh, what this driver actually did. Uh, and uh, Uber's uh, on the hot seat again, it seems like. 
when we have companies like this uh, that uh, literally play, play fast and loose with the rules sometimes, uh, it can really capture market share, right? They could gain some venture capital dollars. They don't necessarily follow all the rules that helps them grow. But rules are in place for a reason sometimes, right? Like some of these companies and industries need rules like background checks. No, absolutely. And, and Uber you know, has, has uh, made a point to uh, use uh, the fact that it, it considers itself to be uh, very committed to safety, to safety of its riders uh, in its promotional materials and its marketing materials. Uh, but they've also uh, gotten a lot of flack for this as well. They've uh, steadfastly refused to fingerprint drivers. Uh, they say that it would uh, uh, slow down the onboarding process, the process that they use to sign up new drivers. Uh, they, they use an electronic uh, criminal background check, uh, but, they, but they have long resisted this effort by a lot of safety advocates to get them to uh, fingerprint their drivers. They say that it would, it would be detrimental to their business. Uh, they got into a fight with the city of Austin over this a few a few years back. They actually pulled out of Austin because Austin tried Austin, Texas tried to force uh, or require Uber to to uh, fingerprint its drivers. Uh, they've recently resolved that after uh, the state of Texas passed some legislation favoring ride hailing, uh, and basically Uber was able to win that fight over uh, the, the the city of Austin. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 definitely a problem. They've had to pay numerous fines over the years, millions of dollars. Uh, to settle claims that they've misled people about the, how safe that their their rides are, uh, and as you can see, it's it's continuing to uh, to be a problem for them. And in addition to going to police, like you do when there's an issue like this, an assault like this, there was also a report that was sent to Uber because that's what the company says. Especially when the background check issue came up, I remember sitting, in fact, in court and Lyft making this argument too. Uh, when they were in court against the St. Louis uh, Metro Taxi Commission, um, that their app, whether it's the rating system, a low rating deactivates a driver, incident reports come in, if you file a complaint, the company takes action, they say. And what did you find about when this victim went to Uber, what did the company do? So, the, the yeah, the victim says that, uh, that there was a prior complaint made against this driver. He apparently was involved in a domestic violence situation where a woman that he was living with uh, filed charges against him because he, uh, she claims that he beat her up. Uh, and then afterwards, in addition to filing charges against him, she also filed a complaint specifically with Uber because she knew that he was an Uber driver, and she wanted to let them know that he was not someone that their riders uh, could be safe uh, taking a trip with. Uh, Uber, uh, according to the lawsuit, Uber uh, you know, uh, launched an internal investigation uh, and their representatives have told me, I reached out to them to, to find out what happened here, and they said that they felt like they handled the, the situation properly, uh, that they conducted an investigation, they talked to both, uh, both sides. Uh, I, I guess his account was suspended briefly, but it obviously was activated again because then he was able to uh, pick up uh, uh, additional writers, and uh, it led to uh, an alleged uh, sexual assault. So it, it seems like if indeed they felt like they handled the situation properly, it certainly raises the question as to what their definition of properly is, uh, because as we can see, uh, it doesn't seem to have uh, met some standards here. I think it also de- uh, raises the question of uh, how do we define handled? <laughs> so was it yeah, handled? Exactly. Was it handled properly? <laughs> now, this, yeah. is, this, is a, this is a tragic story, and um, I think that as we, 
you know, we, wor- we work in the innovation space a lot, and we see that risk-taking is a very important part of the growth of businesses. But uh, stories like this that, uh, that, that remind us that sometimes fast growth is not necessarily the best for the company or for the customers that they serve. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, from the perspective of, uh, you know, Uber's ongoing sort of back and forth that it has with its drivers. Uh, you have this situation, you know, where, you know, in the past, uh, there were probably crimes committed by taxi drivers, traditional yellow cab drivers or black car services. Uh, drivers would, you know, uh, uh, commit crimes, assault passengers, things like that, take people for joyrides. Uh, but, you know, there wasn't really any sort of public outcry about it because it was a fragmented system. You know, each locality, each city uh, had its own taxi company, had its own uh, way of regulating it, uh, that, 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 uh, that industry. And now we have this situation where most of that business now takes place under this, you know, umbrella of this gigantic $70 billion tech company. So every time a crime is committed by an Uber driver, these guys are independent contractors, they're freelancers, they're not employees of Uber. But they still, their actions still reflect on the company, especially when, when you think about uh, safety, uh, safety of passengers. Uh, it, it's really just kind of uh, an interesting sort of uncharted territory that we're in. And should note that for, uh, what do you think, Travis, about a year, maybe a year and a half, Uber technically operated illegally in the St. Louis area before the state regulations kicked in. The taxi commission was just kind of laissez-faire with it during that period. Yeah, and I, I think now it's uh, it's important for companies like this or industries like this to continue to be regulated in appropriate ways. And as Andrew said, uh, taxi the taxi industry has had there's been criminals that have driven taxis too. That's we're not pretending that that hasn't happened. Uh, but there's a microscope on when you hit this size of scale. Um, that I think there's a brighter light on you. Andrew Hawkins from The Verge, thank you so much. Uh, And if you want to read this story, theverge.com, or go to my Twitter account. I've tweeted about it. And uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us to talk about this. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. And now, back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. All right, Michael and Travis with you. And this was a big week for St. Louis and the biotech industry in st louis travis hasn't hasn't like just been big decade for the biotech industry in st louis i mean why this week well this week we had some international companies come to town and we also had a uh, study from uh, a part of jp morgan chase come out that was very kind to st louis so let's get the details right now don rubin bio stl thank you so much for calling into nothing impossible oh my pleasure thanks thanks michael thanks travis so what was this, uh, this recognition from J.P. Morgan Chase? Yeah, well, it, it was a, a really a, a, a great feather in the cap for St. Louis. You know, it is a recognition of the long-term, tenacious, uh, comprehensive approach that BioSTL has undertaken for the last decade and a half to build what, uh, what they call a, an industry cluster. Uh, the whole idea of clusters is something that Harvard Business School uh, created a couple of decades ago about having just a, a concentration of activity in a particular sector that really can strengthen the economy of a region. And they selected uh, the bioscience cluster in St. Louis as a model for the rest of the country. And... Uh... We've been doing this, like I said, for a couple of decades now in St. Louis. And when I say we, I mean you have been doing this for a couple of decades in, in St. Louis. How have you seen the changes and, and what impact have you seen this cluster focus have in this region? 
Oh, it's been tremendous. You know that when we started this work 16 years ago, uh, entrepreneur was a dirty word in St. Louis. That we were a, we were a Fortune 500 headquarters town. Uh, people didn't know what an entrepreneur was, and uh, that has changed totally. Now we put entrepreneurs on a pedestal. We embrace them. We we bring resources to them. We bring our networks to them. We do whatever we can in this community, I think. And, and, and when I talk about this community, I mean the corporate community, the university community, the entrepreneurs, the, the economic development organizations. Everyone really comes together to help entrepreneurs. And that's a cultural change that we've seen. Uh, but what was recognized yesterday, they really, it, it was very nice to hear because what they, what, what they, what they noticed was that we started building assets like creating the Cortex Innovation District and incubators and accelerators and, uh, and venture capital and moved on as we, to capitalize on that by, by, by bringing capital to the community and then, and then, and then really focusing on people and, and trying to make St. Louis a more inclusive innovation ecosystem. And as we've worked on that and we have a lot, lot, lot more work to do in these areas, We've moved on, and most recently, we realized in addition to being a wholly inclusive ecosystem, we need to be globally connected as well. And so they recognize this innovative approach that we've had. We've, we've been innovators. Uh, we don't just uh, continue stagnant and keep doing the same things, but we've evolved. And by doing that, we've become a model for other cities in the country who are trying to create technology, bioscience, innovation clusters as the right way to do it. And that's just a, a great recognition for the entire St. Louis community. And so then, Don, you pivot from this recognition to real life, it being put into practice with, I think it was 13 startups from biotech companies from Ireland and from Israel coming to St. Louis and some of them uh, considering St. Louis as a potential home base in the United States. That's right. You know, we, we launched this initiative that we call Global STL about three years ago. And the idea was and is to find companies overseas that uh, know that they need to be in North America. They need to access partners, customers um, in North America. And we want St. Louis to be the gateway for those companies. We want them to put down stakes here in St. Louis, put their U.S. base here at a time when they're poised for growth, poised for job creation. We want them to put that here, and we want to keep nurturing them and help them grow their North American presence here in St. Louis. And we focus on areas where St. Louis has real competitive strength. So the, the first areas where we really focused have been ag tech and healthcare. And we've had success to date in the ag tech area. We have five Israeli companies, and you all have talked about this before, that have put their U.S. headquarters here in St. Louis, and that's been really great. With yesterday's event, we're really trying to build that now in the healthcare and build on St. Louis's healthcare strengths. So we brought together St. Louis's major hospital systems and our major healthcare companies like Express Scripts and Centene, as well as BJC and Mercy and Ascension and leverage those strengths in St. Louis to really impress and convince these overseas healthcare technology companies that St. Louis is the place they need to be. And we brought in 13 companies, seven from Israel, six from Ireland, who are at the cutting edge of healthcare innovation. 
Well, what I think is great is when we mention all these other assets that, that exist, we also this week had the, uh, the announcement by Pfizer about breaking ground on a new $200 million facility. And so this, this industry cluster doesn't just focus on the startups or even on the universities, but it also allows our large corporates uh, to continue to make investments. Absolutely, and the corporations need to see value in this ecosystem as well. And when we see uh, acquirers, uh, so not just Pfizer that's been here for a while, but we see Monsanto, who perhaps will be acquired by Bayer from Germany. We saw Sigma Aldrich acquired. Um, Ralston Purina a few years ago was acquired by Nestle, is now Nestle Purina. It's very important for us to have a thriving entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem so that these International companies, whether they're headquartered here or headquartered somewhere else, see the value in growing their presence in St. Louis. They see the value in connecting to our innovators, our entrepreneurs, our universities, and we want to be able to help facilitate and build those partnerships. And that plays directly into what uh, the regional chamber and others have talked about recently with luring an international flight to town too, Travis, with uh, the more business you have overseas, the more demand there is, the more people there are to buy the tickets and sit in the seats. We got to go back and forth. We got to get over there and have them coming back. And yeah, that's it. It's all laying the groundwork for that. Yeah, Don, is that something that you've talked about? The need for better, better access for these companies. Yeah. You know, you know, um, it's interesting because it's not the first thing we hear. But yesterday during our, during our summit, where we had these thirteen companies engaged in almost 100 one-on-one meetings with the St. Louis partners. That was first and foremost in their mind, was building business relationships. That's what really attracts these folks to St. Louis, is, is a relationship with a first customer or with a research collaborator that can really move their business forward. But I probably had half a dozen people who came up to me and said, when you're done with all this, Don, see what you can do about getting us an international flight. So that is on people's minds, being connected, being able to get back and forth quickly and efficiently as we grow is going to continue to be an important uh, issue. That's the perils of leadership, isn't it, Don? What have you done for me lately? Yeah, this is all great, Don. And now get me a flight. <laughs> well, we'll do what we can. We'll certainly add our voice to the many voices out there. Um, that, uh, but, you know, we have, these folks came from thousands of miles away. They paid their own way here. Uh, they bought tickets, they paid for hotels, uh, they took the time out to come to St. Louis, and the reason they're coming here is because we have something of value to offer them. And that's what I think we should be really proud about in St. Louis, that we can really shine when we tell our story, when we weave the assets together into a narrative that really shows off St. Louis well. And these folks who came, some had been here before, but most of them had never been to St. Louis before. And I think that they were blown away by what they saw, the meetings that they had, and I think they're, that most of them are going to be back again. Well, we'll find out. We'll talk to one of them coming up next. Don Rubin from BioSTL, thank you so much. We appreciate it. My pleasure. It. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. And coming up next, we're going to talk with one of those startups. So we're going to talk with Kira Clancy, the founder and CEO of Beats Medical Group. All right. So tell me a little bit about Beats Medical. What do people uh, need to know about what you do? Um, so Beats Medical provides uh, treatment for Parkinson's disease delivered through the iPhone and iPad. Um, we provide exercises based around um, tailored physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech pathology therapies um, delivered uh, daily through the phone uh, through assessments and treatments. Uh, it's available online and in the app store um, and through our website, www.beatsmedical.com. And tell me a little bit about how you, uh, you came to this and how you, you got going with this. 
Um, so my background uh, is a physical therapist, and I did a PhD in um, predictive uh, analytics and neurosurgery, um, and that kind of led me to developing uh, the algorithms for individualized, tailored therapy at home for Parkinson's disease. Um, I've been working within the technology uh, since 2012, and we currently have users um, with Parkinson's disease using the technology in over 40 countries worldwide to take control of their symptoms today at home. And tell me about uh, you know where you're from and how you uh, came to even be aware of St. Louis and its uh, biotech and startup scene. Um, so I'm actually based in Ireland, and uh, I met with the uh, BioSTL team uh, there last year. Um, they told me all about St. Louis, and St. Louis is actually a real center of excellence when it comes to neurological research. Um, so I, I had heard of St. Louis from that perspective, um, but when there was an opportunity to come here and meet with um, individuals in the research community and the healthcare community, um, through BioSTL's connections, I, I jumped on board, and uh, great collaborations have, have already happened um, because of BioSTL's um, intros and, and work they've done with us. Yeah, tell me about some of those connections, and, and what was on the agenda when you came to St. Louis? What did you do? Uh, what did you learn? So um, I first came to St. Louis um, back in January, and so the first thing that we were looking to do was a... Um, we've uh, done a number of um, research studies in Europe, but we were looking to do our first U.S. clinical trial. So um, the team at BioSCL uh, introduced us to Washington University, and um, we commenced our first U.S. clinical trial there. Um, and on this trip, um, we were meeting with um, those uh, companies in the healthcare community here, so um, the major hospital groups um, like Mercy and Ascension um, and Express Scripts. Um, you know, within the, the St. Louis area to um, discuss our work and their work and identify if there's potential um, collaborations there. Wow. And is that something that, um, you know, people might think of uh, Silicon Valley or if they think of biotech, they might think of uh, Boston in America. Um, what do you tell people when they say, really, St. Louis? I'm, and they maybe are surprised. Yeah, so um, we have a, a base, a satellite base uh, in New York, but we are looking to place a, um, a more uh, permanent uh, headquarters here. Um, and St. Louis is, is the place we're looking at on this trip. Um, but yeah, when, when people say to me, St. Louis, it's my favorite place to visit in the States. And there's so many reasons for that on a professional level. You know, it really is a world-recognized um, center for neurological research. Um, and healthcare provision in this area. So the people of St. Louis are, are, are very lucky to have uh, great neurological care around them. So that's a huge draw for me. Um, but there's also the intangible draws. Um, you know, there's a lovely lifestyle here. There's great people, um, great food, great coffee. All of those things uh, draw me to St. Louis and make me feel very much at home here. And um, both of those things are important uh, for setting up a, a base here. Yeah, and so uh, tell me a little bit about that search. Uh, you're looking for more of a, a permanent U.S. headquarters, and why does St. Louis appeal uh, to you in that respect? And uh, would you say St. Louis is the front runner for that office? Yeah, yeah, at the moment, um, yeah. So I would see St. Louis, Louis is the front runner. We're already looking um, to uh, potentially put someone on the ground here um, and actually hire. Um, this is for me, a place where I think um, we'd love to collaborate and um, not, for being based in St. Louis, it would be about um, 
working with the hospitals and groups in St. Louis, but also continuing to work with the hospital groups we're already working with across the states, being centrally located, um, you know, and we have work on the East and, and West Coast. Um, it really makes sense to be based somewhere um, like St. Louis uh, for um, so many things, but the location is is a, is a major one as well. You know, you're kind of in the center of everything and you can go to uh, whichever group you're working with at the time while working with groups locally as well. And and tell me about, in terms of Beats Medical and Parkinson's, what was it? Was it a personal experience with Parkinson's that drew you to want to look into this? Or have you heard from anybody who's used the product uh, and a personal story about how it's helped them? Yeah, so um, I first witnessed the impact of Parkinson's disease when I was 16 years old. Uh, it was that moment that made me want to become a physical therapist. I became a physical therapist, and it was then witnessing the impact of uh physical therapy exercises on care that made me want to do that on a greater scale. So with uh, physical therapy, I could have treated maybe 10 people in clinic a day, whereas now with technology, we can treat hundreds of thousands of people around the world um, every day through through what we're doing. All right. And where can people get more information on this? Is this is, And is this a product? You said it's available in, in the App Store, so uh, it's something people can use now, right? Yeah, so um, they can sign up straight away online. Um, we'll offer a free consultation to help them get set up and get going uh, over the phone. Um, and um, they can get using it today. And yeah, we have users around the world achieving great things. We had one user walk uh, from the bottom of the UK to the top using the technology over 630 miles. Others that are able to walk to the shops again or maybe speak to their grandchildren or use our hand therapy exercises to write the Christmas and birthday cards this year. So um, they're really able to take advantage of the therapy today in their homes right now. Um, and uh, the cost is for as low as a dollar a day with a free trial in that as well. All right. Kira Clancy, founder and CEO of Beats Medical. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and I can't wait to see you in St. Louis again soon. Yeah, I'll be back very soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Mornings and afternoons, Kingham OX has news at the top and bottom of the hour. Traffic and weather every 10 minutes and sports at 15 and 45. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Travis Sheridan, Michael Calhoun. And let's get into Michael's interview he did with Ted Parker, a partner at Centric, talking about the changing IT field and how you can get trained up for those skills. All right. So we hear about IT as this fast growing career. Is there a disconnect between the number of jobs that are open and available, though, and the number of people who are qualified to fill these? Yeah, absolutely. That's the skills gap. And you can Google that and, and you will have information, more information than you want on how deep the uh, skills gap is. I was just reading an article this morning from CompTIA, which is an industry uh, organization, saying that today there are 500,000 unfilled IT jobs in America. And by 2020, that number will be 1 million number of jobs that where they cannot find qualified IT professionals to fill them. And so I guess the question is, what is the what is the qualification or what do people have to do? Because there are plenty of people who are looking for work, too. Well, the great thing about technology is that uh, you don't need a degree to uh, to succeed in IT. Uh, the uh, the economy today is a job skills economy. And the reason that, that college graduates aren't finding the right jobs they need, they don't really have the right job skills that people are looking for. That goes back to the skills gap. And today, 
to get a job in IT, there are certain industry uh, level, entry level job skills that companies look for. And what we do in our program is train people just for those job skills so that when they come out, they can fill the entry level jobs. And I can imagine as we talk about jobs being automated, machine learning, even starting to take aim at some office jobs now. And people are like, what are we going to do You know, as a living in the future? And somebody's got to maintain all of those whether it's a computer algorithm or whether it's a piece of you know actual machinery yeah that's the, that's the real question when they say that, that technology is going to take all these jobs you can be on the side where your job got taken or you can be on the side of the people who are programming and, and utilizing technology to take those jobs away and you know technology is in, it is everywhere and that's why there's so many jobs available you look at the, the retail space today all of these retail stores are closing because they are now everything with technology has moved their sales online and we're seeing that in every industry. So talk about what you're doing with the IT career training program here in St. Louis and about the, the company in general, how, you, how you've made it to St. Louis. Yeah, so uh, Centric is, a, is an IT training company. That's what we do for a living. And so there are two sides of that. One, we have a business-to-business side where we train the IT staffs of companies. Uh, every major company in Kansas City and, and many in, in St. Louis already, which will do more, when they upgrade their software, when they have a new project, their IT people need to get upskilled to the most hottest and latest technologies. We work with companies like Microsoft. We're a gold Microsoft partner, Cisco, Citrix, and we train people who buy their technology uh, when they need to be upskilled. And then we've taken those relationships and we have developed a four-month program that is for individuals. And so we take individuals that have zero uh, or no, little or no IT experience, and we put them through a four-month uh, intensive, uh, accelerated, hands-on program where we teach them the IT job skills over four months. It is all technology, you know, no general education, no history, no biology, just technology for four months. We talk to the companies that we train, uh, their staffs. We say, what do you need an IT, an entry-level networking or coder to be able to do? And we teach them those skills, and then we go back to those companies and say. Here are the uh, qualified, trained IT professionals for you to now hire. This seems like it's part of uh, this greater trend toward companies taking a look at what do you actually know and what's your experience, as opposed to did you go to a college and take that history class and that biology class, even though it might not necessarily have anything to do with what they're hiring the person for. Yeah, we are seeing a huge trend towards uh, the the. Uh, well, I think in just in uh, in general in, in the business world, the the degree is seems to have less and less. Uh, uh, value, but it's certainly in technology. They te- employers ask, "Can you do this?" They don't ask, "Where did you go to school?" or "How did you learn it?" They want to know that you can do it. Now, when it comes to who would be the best for this, is this something where if you're just starting your career, if you're trying to figure out, do I go to college or do I learn a skill? Uh, this would be best for them. Or what if you're somebody who's gotten caught up in this change in the workforce and you're m- maybe in the latter half of your career time and you're trying to figure out, what do I do now? Is this a good uh, a good option for that kind of a person too, uh, Michael. That's a great question, and it's about half and half in our program. We have uh, a, a huge segment of our people that are, I'd say, less thirty to fifty year old, and, and we've had some even older than fifty who either were in a, uh, a blue collar job and, and they got hurt, or they now they had kids, but they don't. The the common ground is that there's not a real opportunity, and they're going to be making the same amount of money in you know ten years or fifteen years that they're making today, and they say I need to do something different. So those people are, are where our program started. And then about four years ago, five years ago, we started with the rising uh, tuition cost and the student loan debt. We started seeing a, a much more uh, significant demand from, from kids who uh, 
either don't go to college, they go to college and drop out after a year, even some who have degrees and, and can't get a, a job in their in the field where their major was. And so that is the, a really a growing segment of what our business is, the career starters, if you will. Uh, but today it's about equal. Now you're from Kansas City, the company's from Kansas City, and what have you learned about St. Louis or, or figured out about the, especially the technology market? Because we see these, you know, popular mechanics or other, you know, publications come out with their rankings, and sometimes St. Louis is high and sometimes St. Louis is low. So from your perspective, um, is St. Louis this hot technology market that we keep hearing about? St. Louis is definitely a hot technology market. So we, we went, when we've looked uh, for where to expand for the last several years, and so we chose St. Louis for several reasons. Number one, uh, geographic proximity. It's easy for us to uh, ensure that the quality and the result that we want our students to get is here because we're close. But second of all was the technology environment. Uh, we see companies over here that basically utilize the same technologies that uh, that companies use in Kansas City, so our program fits really, really well. But we also see even more so a a, a greater gap in the, the in the jobs that are available that uh, that the companies can't fill. I mean, the, the uh, uh, St. Louis uh, report on workforce uh, estimating that there's going to be 10,000 more technology jobs coming to Kansas City. I mean, to St. Louis in the uh, uh, next five years. Um, you know, the, the CIOs can't fill their jobs, and uh, we see that this is – and universities aren't doing this. Universities – and it's not a reflection on the university, uh, the Missouri University of Missouri system. It's nationwide. You know, there, there'll be maybe 300 computer science graduates in the entire state of Missouri this year, just over 100 in the entire state of Kansas, and yet these people need thousands and thousands of jobs to be filled, and so they're looking for different ways to do that, and we feel like our program fits that very well. I can imagine there's – besides four months, I think you said versus four years. That's a big time difference. But I can imagine there's a big cost difference too. And we keep hearing personal stories, especially about student loan debt and the cost of going to college these days. Yeah, there's no question that that, that is a huge uh, uh, aspect of it. So our four-month program, because we go full-time, is actually equivalent to classroom hours to one full year of college. Uh, it's about 450 hours of classroom time in, in two semesters of college, and ours is 455 hours in the classroom. And that four, but the four weeks, I mean, the four months aspect of it versus four years is so important to so many people, especially the career changers who say, you know, I can't, I can't put my life on hold for four years, but they can do it for four months. And the young kids that are, you know, in a hurry to get started out there, they look at it and say, yeah, I can get this done and get, get into a, a new career in just four months. All right. So people have heard this. They want to know, when do I get started? When can I sign up? Where do I go? What are the dates and all of that information? Yeah. So uh, it, it, our first class starts in uh, August the 14th, and that's our IT networking class. And our coding class starts on September 11th. And so uh, you go to uh, Centric at C-E-N-T-R-I-Q.com slash S-T-L, or you can call us directly at 314-450-4714. And uh, you know, all the information you want to see is on the website. You can call and talk to us. You come in for an assessment and, and an understanding of go through the whole program, and uh, we help you get started. And if people sign up and they start in August or September, They'll be done and ready to get a job by when? Both of those programs will be finished before Christmas, and they'll be ready to start their new jobs in uh, January of 2018. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, good luck. Congratulations on the expansion to St. Louis. I appreciate that, Michael. We're excited to be here, and I appreciate you having me in today. All right. So the workforce is changing. 
You know what? The world's changing, people. And if it does change, you'll hear about it here on Nothing Impossible. Thanks for joining us. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 